Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we covered the testimony of a variety of witnesses from the South Carolina State Law Enforcement Division, or SLED, in quick succession. We also began our review of the testimony of firearms expert Paul Greer. In this installment, we continue our look at the testimony of Mr. Greer. That's all coming up, right after the break. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It is just before the lunch recess on February 3rd, 2023, day 8 of the trial of Alex Murdoch. As we concluded our last episode, firearms expert Paul Greer had been qualified as a firearms and toolmark examination expert, and was discussing the specifications for the types of weapons used in the murders of Paul and Maggie Murdoch. As we begin today, Prosecutor David Fernandez asks Mr. Greer about what he calls demonstrative exhibits, that is, evidence that isn't directly related to the case but can offer the jury an illustration of the weaponry that was used in the commission of the crimes. Mr. Greer, if you would, uh, begin with the shot shells. You brought some demonstrative exhibits, is that correct? That's correct. The witness retrieves these demonstrative exhibits from a binder and hands them to Prosecutor Fernandez. After Fernandez shows the shells to Defense Attorney Jim Griffin without objection, he approaches the witness stand and hands them back to Greer. If you would, just please hold them up, show them to the jury, and explain what it is we see, when we're, what we're looking at, and what, what the components are in there. Um, again, these are just two examples of a shot shell. Um, here you have a plastic uh, body there of the shell with a metal head. On this end of it, that is uh, the end that's going to be up against the breech face of the firearm, and in the middle you'll see um, a small circle. That's the primer area, and that's what's going to be struck by a firing pin in a firearm so that um, it will fire. That's what's going to detonate inside the shot shell to cause it to, to be fired. Um, out this end, you see it's crimped on, on this end. This is the end that the uh, projectiles or the pellets that are inside of the shot shell will exit and travel uh, down the barrel of that shotgun. Thank you. Prosecutor Fernandez moves on from discussing shotguns and their ammunition to asking Mr. Greer about semi-automatic rifles. All right, Mr. Greer, the second firearm uh, would be, if you would, talk about a little bit about what the AR platform is. An AR platform is something that um, is commonly seen uh, throughout America. Um, originally, it was designed by Armalite, and it's just a modular platform and it's a rifle, a semi-automatic rifle in its, in its normal state, and that's what we have here today. And what would be the more common caliber that you might find on the air, our platform? Typically, uh, what is very common um, that we see in the laboratory and uh, that you may be more familiar with um, is it's uh, chambered in 223 Remington caliber 5.56 NATO. 
Um, that is a very common caliber for an AR-15 uh, type firearm. And um, what were some of the items that, that you examined in the case as far as rifle calibers? In this case, I received uh, one rifle, and it was um, chambered in 300 blackout caliber. All right, explain to us what the 300 blackout round is and maybe how it's, it's similar and uh, different from a 5.56 round NATO. Sure. You may be familiar with the 223 Remington or 5.56 NATO caliber. The 300 blackout uh, cartridge is, is sort of similar to that. Um, when that was designed, it, it was designed so that it could be used with a lot of the original features of an AR-15. Um, so the overall dimensions of those cartridges are, are very similar, with the exception of a shorter case length and a much um, heavier or larger bullet. And uh, 300 blackout being a, a, re a relatively, at least compared to 5.56 NATO round, um, were some of the components interchangeable on the AR platform? It's my understanding that when that 300 blackout caliber was developed, um, it was designed so that some of the components from the original um, AR-15 type that were chambered in the 5.56 NATO or the 223 Remington could be used with a 300 blackout. And it is possible, maybe not ideal, but possible to use a um, magazine that would be formatted for the 223 5.56 round in a 300 blackout rifle. Yes, sir, I would say it's possible. And did you bring um, any 223 and 5.56 and 300 blackout rounds with you today for demonstrative purposes? Yes, sir, I have two. All right, would you please uh, identify the two and uh, tell us uh, what we're looking at and what, what the similarities and differences would be. Paul Greer once again retrieves rounds from his exhibits binder and shows them to the jury as he continues his testimony. Sure. To start off, this is an example of a 223 Remington. This is the one that you may be more familiar with. Um, I will show you now, um, side by side, this is the 300 Blackout. Um, you can see that their overall dimensions, they're about the same, with the exception of the larger bullet. And I'll give you a little bit of anatomy here of, of the cartridge. Um, what we would refer to as um, this item right here is an unfired cartridge. Um, terminology in our firearms department is, is very uh, key to us in being accurate in what we do. Um, so we would refer to this as an unfired cartridge. Um, that contains a bullet, which is this portion right here, this copper-colored um, projectile, and that's what's going to travel down the barrel of the firearm towards the target. Um, again, on this end, just like the shot shell, there's a primer there in the middle. Um, you see the circle object there, um, and that's what the firing pin is going to strike so that way the, it can detonate and uh, cause the cartridge to be fired. When it's fired, um, we'll have a cartridge case, which is just the brass colored um, portion here, and that is the cylindrical component there that holds it all together. It holds the primer, the bullet, and the gunpowder inside of it. Mr. Greer, if you would just pay attention, you have a little video screen there. All right, Mr. Greer, can you see these two bullets? Yes, sir, I can see the items. <laughs> David Fernandez tries to place the bullets on the projector display for the witness. After they keep rolling off the projector, prosecutor Creighton Waters approaches and stabilizes the rounds with his phone, causing the jury and the gallery to laugh. Fernandez refers to the bullets on the courtroom monitor as he continues this line of questioning. All right, can you see them clearly? Uh, yes, sir, I can. Right. <laughs> it's a big black thing on the screen. Um, <laughs> appears to be a false. <laughs> In your expertise, that's a fact. Um, the two rounds we see there, uh, the top round, can you identify which one that is? Um, the one that is uh, up against the foam there would be the 300 blackout caliber uh, cartridge. And then, uh, as you said before, the bullet was the round bullet, that would be the uh, 223 slash 556 round? 
Yes, sir. And uh, seeing the actual projectile, meaning the item that exits the barrel of the rifle, would that be that tip, uh, the cylindrical tip on the top? Uh, yes, sir. And I believe, if I remember correctly, both of those projectiles were uh, copper in color. If you can distinguish that on the, the screen. Prosecutor Creighton Waters removes the bullets and the phone from the monitor. David Fernandez moves on. As compared to each other, does the, five, the 300 blackout have a higher grain typically than the 5.56? It's possible. Um, the bullets come in different grain weights, so that is a much larger bullet, so um, I would expect it to be heavier. And when we're, we are going to hear about grain weights, could you explain what that means also? Sure. Uh, grain is a, a term that we use in firearms, and it's just a, a unit of measurement. Um, so when we measure our projectiles, we are going to measure those in grains. And just as a common um, way to relate to that, if you imagine 7,000 grains, uh, that's equivalent to approximately a pound. So measurements in bullets are done in grains, basically. Yes, sir. That's what we refer to them. Going back to shotgun shells very briefly, are there various types of shotgun shells and gauges or calibers? Yes, sir, there are. Could you explain a couple of the types that you might commonly find and then uh, just some of the calibers so we know what we're talking about? Um, sure. Some of the more common gauges in shot shell, and gauge is just uh, referring to the size and how we are able to determine what that firearm is chambered in. So um, a 12 gauge is something that's very common. Um, that's a very common shotgun that I would expect to encounter. Um, you may also have heard of or be familiar with a 20 gauge. Um, that's another one that may be common. Or, or 410 bore, which is, is the type of shot shell as well. Um, those are some of the more common ones that we uh, would see in our laboratory setting and that you may be familiar with. Um, again, throughout those, um, there are all different kinds of shot shells loaded with different projectiles, um, loaded with birdshot, loaded with buckshot, and they all um, will serve a purpose within, um, within their own respect. But those can have multiple projectiles, hundreds of projectiles. It could have just one large projectile, which we refer to as a slug. Um, so there's lots of uh, options, if you will, uh, within a shot shell. And all those of this may be obvious. A buckshot is typically used to hunt what type of game? I'm not hunting often, <laughs> um, but I would expect a buckshot could be used for something, um, you know, as it suggests, a, a buck. Um, you would expect maybe a larger animal. Um, again, I'm, I'm not a hunter, but that's where I could imagine that. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Prosecutor David Fernandez next asks Paul Greer about the importance of the peer review process in forensic science. Thank you, Mr. Greer. Before we move on, um, and, and, and speaking about the uh, area of forensic science of firearm examinations, is that an area that is uh, subject to peer review? Yes, sir. And uh, could you explain to us what that means? What's the peer review process and, and why that's important in forensic science? Sure. Within a firearms and tool mark examination, this is something that's been around for years. Um, firearms examiners have been uh, 
learning about uh, the firearms identification process, building uh, studies and designs and experiments throughout um, many years. And as part of that process in, in designing those studies and doing this research um, with the end fireman toolmark, they're going to uh, draft an experiment, conduct an experiment, um, publish an article on their findings, and, and during that process, um, there can be review. I mean, there will be a review of, of the article of the experiment where other scientists and within our field or other scientists or, or researchers can examine that and see what was going on during that process and say whether they agree with it um, and share their comments. And that's part of that peer review process. We, as an AFTI member, I have access to our AFTI journal where a lot of those peer review articles are published and they're able uh, for other examiners to, to look at, for other scientists and researchers to look at. And, and help uh, bolster or their opinions and thoughts on, on firearms identification. And personally, do you know how many exams you've done, you've conducted? I do not have a number of examinations that I've conducted while at SLED. Um, however, at this point, I would say it's somewhere in the thousands. All right, Mr. Greer, I'm going to ask you, did you um, receive a, a volume of items uh, concerning this case for review? Yes, sir. I did receive um, several items to examine um, in this case. And generally, did you uh, have the opportunity, we're going to go through those items very shortly, but did you have an opportunity to, in general, review a significant amount of items for um, identification, possible identification? Yes, sir. Okay. And did you pre prepare a report in, after... Uh, conducting these examinations. Yes, sir, I did prepare a report. All right, I'm going to ask us if we would go through a number of items very shortly. Um, do you have a copy of the report and is it needed in order to uh, refresh your memory and be able to specifically recall each individual item? Uh, yes, sir, I do have a copy and um, I would appreciate being able to refer to it. Okay, very good. And prior to your testimony today, have you had an opportunity to, to uh, well, first of all, generally when items are submitted, do you know anything about the case? Um, generally when items are submitted to the SLED laboratory, um, I do not have information about the case. I do not. Prior to today's testimony, have you familiarized yourself at least very briefly with the layout of the scene of the crime? Yes, sir, I have. And specifically paying attention to what on that crime scene layout? I reviewed um, a crime scene layout um, in relation to where some of the marker numbers were that are listed in my report. Um, those just reference numbers, and I reviewed where those were in relation to, to the crime scene that e the evening. Um, where the two bodies were. And is that just to assist us when we reference item number X, Y, or one, two, or three, it, it allows us to then, you then, to testify as where that was located? Yes, sir, I can. Agent Greer, I'm going to uh, go down the list of items, and I'd like you to identify the item that was received for me, beginning with item numbers two through five. Did you conduct a review of that item? Uh, yes, sir, I did look at uh, sled items two through five. Prosecutor Fernandez sifts through the evidence box as Paul Greer explains to the jury how items are processed in the evidence lab. And when, while I find those items, if you would, please explain how you receive items in general, how you receive items in the lab, um, what the condition is when before you review them, and then what you do ultimately with that item. So as uh, items are submitted to the SLED uh, laboratory, uh, those can come from agencies all over the state to include our own SLED crime scene department. Those items are given assignments for, uh, for multiple departments, depending on what the requesting agency is asking to have completed. Um, we are a full-service laboratory, so sometimes the evidence has to travel through to other departments before it arrives to me in the firearms department. Typically, um, if you want something like latent prints or DNA to be processed on those items, it would go there first, because when I get the item, I may decontaminate it or, or touch it, 
and those uh, prints or DNA may uh, be, not be relevant anymore because you would find my, me on it. Evidence travels throughout the laboratory to those departments and through our evidence control department. I receive those items either from those analysts or from our evidence control technicians. And when I receive that item and before I begin my examination, I want to make sure that the item is submitted to me in a manner that I can uh, tell that it's not been tampered with. Um, so we use a lot of heat sealed pouches. So I'll make sure those are sealed or our cardboard box that it's sealed up and I can tell that um, there's either evidence tape or initials of that sealing examiner uh, prior to me. So that way the evidence has been um, preserved in a manner that I know uh, no one has altered with it. And just so we're clear, thank you, uh, Mr. Greer. Just so we're clear, when I refer to items, sometimes I'll say items too. Does that refer to the items that you received them as, as a SLED designation? Yes, sir. Um, one other thing about the SLED laboratory, when evidence is submitted to the lab, it receives its own unique lab number that's specific to our laboratory, and it also uh, receives new um, item numbers, and that's so we can track it throughout the laboratory, and um, our analysts throughout the lab can report and identify those uh, clearly. Prosecutor Fernandez presents the witness with several small plastic evidence bags. Thank you, Mr. Greer. I'm going to hand you what's been entered into evidence already as States Exhibits 63 through 68, and I believe they correlate to items 2 through 7 on your report. Would you please take a look? moment to look at these items and let me know if you're familiar with them. When we receive these items, I do uh, mark the packaging and I'm also looking for uh, my, my heat seal pouch and this is how I package the evidence after I examined it. So I'm just confirming that I see some of the information on these items. Yes sir, this appears to be um, what was submitted to the SLED laboratory as items 2 through 7 and your state's exhibit 63 through 68. Did you uh, have an opportunity to examine these items? Yes sir, I did. If you would, please tell us what your findings were for these items. Um, I determined that each of those items, um, they were all fired um, S&B heads. Defense attorney Jim Griffin renews his objection that there is not a sufficient evidentiary foundation for the witness to offer an expert opinion on the questions raised by the prosecution. I renew my prior objection to the opinion testimony based upon the hearing we had, just for the record. Judge Clifton Newman overrules the objection and allows Mr. Greer to continue. I determined um, that each of those were um, one fired um, S&B head stamp 300 blackout caliber cartridge case, and that was items two through seven. Um, that's what each of those items were. Mr. Greer, an item on the uh, screen in front of you would be what's marked as States Exhibit 63. Is that representative of the collection of uh, items that you reviewed in that batch? Yes, sir. All right. There is a blackout round. You, do you, uh, were you able to see the head stamp on it? And I can give you back one of the items if you would. Were you able to identify the head stamp and do the manufacturer of that round? Yes, sir, I was. All right. Who was that? Um, the, the manufacturer of item, uh, items two through seven was uh, Cellier and Bellow, and you may hear that um, referred to as, as S&B. 300? Yes, sir, and head stamp 300 blackout. Mr. Greer, I'm handing you what's been marked and entered into evidence already as state's exhibits 33 and 34, which I believe correlate to 9 and 10 on your report. Would you please uh, take a look at these items and let me know if you recognize them. Prosecutor Fernandez hands the witness two more small evidence bags. Yes, sir, I do. Okay, and please tell us what they are. Sled item 9, which is state's exhibit 34, 
um, is a fired federal premium double alt buck three inch magnum shot shell and sled item 10 um, which is stakes exhibit 33 is one fired Winchester dry lock number two um, 12 gauge shot shell and uh, after your review of the scene where were items your items two through seven located um, after reviewing the uh, the crime scene diagram um, I was aware of the uh, marker numbers um, that those were recovered from and then reviewing that diagram it's my understanding that those um, items two through seven the 300 blackout caliber cartridge cases and were located around or near um, the body of Margaret Murdoch. All right, and referring now to your items nine and ten states, thirty-three and thirty-four. Where were those at your review of the crime scene um, uh, diagram? Where were those identified and retrieved from? Uh, those appear to be um, in or around the storage room area um, near the the kennels. Fernandez briefly displays the items on the monitor. I'm putting these two up on the screen. Mr. Greer, are these the items you just testified to having examined? Yes, sir, they are. Now, after right now we're identifying a number of items. Is it, uh, would, it, would it be fair to say that we're going to go over your results then at the conclusion of the identification? Uh, yes, sir. All right, referring to item states exhibit number four, your item number 22, would you please direct your attention to that? Yes, sir. I'm handing you what's been marked and entered into evidence at states exhibit four. Please take a look at this firearm. Let me know if you're familiar with it. Prosecutor Fernandez hands Mr. Greer a large box containing an unloaded camouflage shotgun. The witness holds the weapon upwards, pointing it towards the ceiling. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this firearm is unloaded. It's safe for me to handle. I will keep it pointed in a safe direction here. Um, I'm going to look for, for some of those identifying marks that I placed on, on this shotgun. Yes, sir, I do recognize this shotgun. All right, tell us what that gun is. Um, this shotgun was determined to be uh, one Benelli model Super Black Eagle 3 semi-automatic shotgun in 12 gauge with a serial number of U573210E17. Thank you. Was there anything that accompanied State's Exhibit number uh, 4? Uh, yes, sir. What, what were you doing with it? Um, also submitted uh, with that firearm was an accessory, which was the sling, and um, one f unfired Federal Premium Double Alt Buck 3-inch 12-gauge uh, shot shell, and one unfired Winchester Super X Game Load 16-gauge shot shell. Uh, I think you just testified that 12-gauge, this, this shotgun is what gauge? Um, that is 12-gauge uh, shotgun. And uh, I think you just mentioned that loaded in it was a 16 gauge. Could you explain what the process was ejecting? Is that the proper gauge for that shotgun? No, sir. The unfired ammunition as it was submitted to me um, was received in uh, another package. Um, I did not remove it from that firearm. However, a 16 gauge would not be uh, correct for use in, in that firearm. Did you have to manually uh, remove it from the, from the shotgun? It was already removed when I received it. I'm handing you what's been marked, entered into evidence as states exhibit 250, uh, sled item 8. So item 8, sled item 8, but states item 250. Take a moment to review it and let me know if you are aware of what it is. David Fernandez hands Mr. Greer another small evidence bag. Uh, yes, sir, I recognize this as sled item 8. Did you have an opportunity to examine and review that item? I did. Uh, what did you determine it was or is? Slit item 8, uh, stakes exhibit number 250, uh, was determined to be uh, one fired bullet 
and that was listed as a near tire impression at marker 8. And you were able to do further analysis, which will get you the results to determine its weight? Yes, sir. Very good. So as you testified before, this would be the bullet minus the casing that it originally came in. Is that correct? Uh, yes, sir. That is uh, just one fired bullet. And that's what it looks like when it doesn't have the back part on it? Yes, sir. That's just a, a bullet without um, any cartridge case attached. Fernando shows each of the next five items of evidence to the defense before presenting them to Mr. Greer. The items are exhibit numbers 20, birdshot pellets, 76, a fired bullet, 102, bullet jacket fragments and a piece of lead, 109, another piece of lead, and 110, birdshot pellets and a piece of plastic. All right, Mr. Greer, I'm going to direct your attention to state's exhibit number 20, sled item 14. This is evidence already. I'm going to hand it to you and ask if you conducted an exam of this item. Yes, sir, I did. All right, what are the results? Sled item 14, which is state's exhibit 20, uh, was determined to be 24 birdshot pellets listed as um, from dog food storage room. You testified before and you, you presented what a shotgun shell looks like. Would, would that be what's inside a shotgun shell, ultimately? Uh, yes, sir. That would be an example of birdshot pellets that uh, would be loaded into a shotgun shell. All right, Mr. Greer, I'm going to direct your attention to what's been entered into evidence as State's Exhibit 76, sled item number 12. Did you have an opportunity to review this item after you take a look at it? Yes, sir. All right, tell us what it is, please. Um, Sled item 12 states exhibit 76 uh, was determined to be one fired bullet listed as from bedding inside doghouse. I'm going to direct your attention to states exhibit 102, sled item 11. Please take a look at this item. Let me know if you're familiar with its contents. Yes, sir. This is sled item 11, states exhibit 102, and that was determined to be one fired bullet jacket fragment, three bullet jacket fragments, and one piece of lead. Uh, listed as defect in ground gravel marker 13. All right, I'm going to refer to what's been identified as State's Exhibit 109, flood item 137. Please review this item and let me know if you recognize it and if you perform an examination of it. Yes, sir. This is a sled item 137, State's Exhibit 109, and it was determined to be one piece of lead listed as from hair on the item 92 dress. All right, Mr. Greer, I'm going to show you what's been admitted as evidence is 110. If you would, please take a look at it. Let me know if you've uh, recognized and performed an examination on it. As Mr. Greer describes the next item, Alex Murdoch rocks back and forth, appearing visibly distraught. Uh, yes, sir. State's Exhibit 110 represents two sled items. Sled item 67, which I examined, uh, determined to be 48 birdshot pellets listed as from left shoulder and head of Paul Murdoch at autopsy. Sled item 68 um, was one piece of plastic listed as from left shoulder and head of Paul Murdoch at autopsy. When you say where it's from, that's because that's what was identified on the item when it was submitted to, your, to you for review? Yes, sir. That's um, solely based on how it was logged into our system by the submitting uh, personnel. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to break for lunch. We will... Um Resume in one hour and 15 minutes. And with Judge Clifton Newman calling for the lunch break, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as we continue our review of the testimony of Paul Greer. Also, check out the Crime Story podcast Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts.
And if you'd like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie and Tholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll come back for the next episode of Jury Duty. <laughs>